everybody. I'm your host, Dr. Ann James from DrAnnJames.com, and I present to you the Freedom Battle Buddies of Color podcast. This podcast highlights and gives voice to the remarkable experiences and expertise of women of color who are currently serving or have served in any branch of the military. I believe that these inspirational stories of triumph and trial will help other women in the military and veteran communities successfully navigate their own freedom journey. You see, my definition of freedom is when you embrace the mindset of doing what you want, when you want, without ever worrying about money. Listen in as we chat it up about everything freedom. I'm talking about financial freedom, lifestyle freedom, and everything in between. Before we jump in, go ahead and hit the subscribe button to make sure you never miss a future episode. So with that, let's get to it. Hey there, it's your host, Dr. Ann, and it's my pleasure to introduce today's guest, Sharice Freeman. Sharice is a proud Air Force veteran who decided, after almost eight years, to leave the military to focus on her relationship with her daughter in hopes of breaking the cycle of strained mother-daughter relationships that have been going on in her family for a few generations. Over the last decade, Sharice has, has been passionate about building a relationship with her daughter that is full of trust, open communication, and understanding. Her passion led her to launch her podcast, Growing in Love Together, where she shares her mother-daughter relationship journey in the most authentic way that truly resonates with others. In addition to being a podcast host, Sharice authored the book, Growing in Love Together, a military mother's 90-day guide to a greater connection with her daughter. The guide provides simple daily actions that help establish a firm foundation of trust, open communication, and unconditional love in your relationship. When working with others, Sharice likes to highlight that in order to connect each day, you must make it a habit to remove the you in guilt and instead G-I-L-T, grow in love together. With that, let's get to it with my girl, Sharice Freeman. Welcome to the podcast, Sharice. How you doing? I'm good, and How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. We finally connected. I know we've had some scheduling back and forth between the both of us, but we are finally here um, to make this happen. So thanks once again for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So we'll just um, jump into it before we talk about, you know, your remarkable experience as a um, woman veterans. I always like to ask my guest a question that is near and dear to my heart because I have my own definition and I just like hearing all of the different definitions. So how would you define freedom? When you hear the word freedom, what is your definition of freedom? I only have a picture in my mind. I don't really have like a definition, but like a dancer on a cliff and they are just seeing out into the seeing nature and everything and just dancing as they move around and there's just free flow and no restrictions. I love that. Free flow and no restriction. And you can visualize that, right? Just how you described it, just dancing around like, hey, mm -hmm. no cares <laughs> in the world, right? Just enjoying yes. nature and no restriction, not worrying about anything in life, just being. Yes. Like yes. a sense of being. <laughs> So I love, that's the first, I would have to say that's the first I've had a description of the visual of 
You know, so oh, yeah. awesome. That is so good. That's so good. So out of all the things in the world, Sharice, what made you join the military? I mean, I just didn't want to be a bum at home. That was the reason <laughs> I joined the military. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my thought, you know, in high school. I didn't apply for colleges and I, I didn't out of fear of rejection. And I didn't have like excellent grades and the people I surrounded myself with did and they got all these acceptance letters and things like that. So I was like, man, I don't think I want to go to college, but I don't know what I want to do. And one of my teachers in high school, he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't know. I'm I'm scared of college. I don't know what to do. And he said, you know, you should join the air force. And I was like, okay. He said, yeah, you joined the Air Force. He gave me all these things about it and then said, I wouldn't you want to come back here to school and say, hey, Mr. Dennis, look at my accomplishments versus here's all my babies that I've had. And I said, Mm. yeah, so (laughs) let me join the military. (laughs) Wow. Putting it that way, right? Yes. Wow. So you joined the world's greatest Air Force. Yes, I did. Yes. Yes. Air Force veteran here as well. (laughs) So at least you joined the best branch. Uh, Yes. I agree. In my my opinion, my opinion. So what was your job um, in the military? I was what they called services. And it's switched over to a bunch of different names now. I love doing it. I love the people. I love connecting with the customers all the time. It was cool. I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. You liked it? How long mm-hmm. did you serve? Did you end up serving? Almost eight years, seven years and 11 months, you know. Okay. <laughs> Who's counting? Who's counting? Mm-hmm. Did you deploy at all while you served um, as services? Yes, I did. I deployed two times and I went TDY um, a couple of times. So Wow. Where'd you end up deploying to? My first one was Iraq. And that was interesting and scary. Where were you there? When were you um, in 2005, six. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. That was uh, interesting because Mm -hmm. it was my first deployment and I was going to Iraq, you know, back then I was like, oh my gosh, to Iraq, you know, I don't know. And I, I just had my daughter. Well, she was about a year at that point. It was 2007. Yeah, 2007. And um, so she was about a year at that point. And so it was a struggle, but it was cool. I can imagine. I can imagine. Similar to yourself, but I was in was it 2009 is when I deployed to Iraq. And that was my first deployment after mm-hmm. like, girl, 18 years in. Wow. They wow. sang me. <laughs> that, that would be a shocker. Yeah. yeah, you know, and actually it was so funny. I worked in ROTC Reserve Officer Training Corps at the University of South Carolina. So that's one of the reasons why I kind of well, went to Rossi because I was like trying to hide out and not get yeah, deployed yeah. and stuff like that, right? You hear the stories, you know, take certain special duty assignments and, you know, you may mm-hmm. not get deployed. Child, they hit me right up in ROTC. And not just for a six-month deployment, a year-long one. Oh, oh my. Yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. similar to yourself, you know, I was a single parent at the time. My daughter was older, but she had special needs. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I could have, you know, sent her to her father. You know, we have a great relationship, but I didn't want to uproot her. You know what I mean? To yeah. change her routines and stuff like that. So I was fortunate enough so that my mother, who was in California at the time, she completely uprooted and moved to um, South Carolina um, mm. to stay with my daughter, you know, while I deployed for that year. Wow, so awesome. it, it was hard. Like you said, it's yeah. hard, you know, leaving your children, um, no matter their age. Like you said, your yeah. daughter was young, one years old, and my daughter yeah. was a teenager. And mm-hmm. nonetheless, whew, that was one of the hardest things of my life, yeah. you know, but I was fortunate in that, you know, I saw the good, the good side of it. Um, it's, when I deployed Iraq, you know, it wasn't a hotbed, you know, it was, it was yeah. there wasn't a lot of action going on at that time mm-hmm. versus in Afghanistan. So yeah. I was like, okay, Lord, thank, you know, at least that, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Thank like, you, yeah. okay, at least it's calmed down, you know, that much, you know, of course the nerd in me, the financial side came out and was like, okay, I'm about to make as much <laughs> money as I can. Yes. Save this money. Cause when I, I hit my 20 years, I'm getting out, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm retiring, mm-hmm. you know, type stuff. So I totally understand the difficulty that you um experience, you know, leaving your daughter behind in order to you know, go on that deployment. So, mm-hmm. wow. So where was your second deployment? You said you deployed twice. The first was to Iraq. Oman. Okay. That was Oman. And that one was a little bit, you know, better. <laughs> yeah. But um, we couldn't tell people where we went. Right. Um, so that was a little odd, but it was, it was nice. It was nice. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I know you said that you was in the services field, um, for my listeners that may not be familiar with the Air Force, you know, and what services is, I, I definitely know what it is. Can you explain a little bit about like more what you did, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, whether it was bulletin or which, where did you fall under in the services yeah. structure? Because, you know, services, y'all can <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. In, in a lot of different places, right? So where <laughs> specifically did you serve in services? I was in the dining hall. And I was also in the fitness center and also in lodging. And while deployed, I did the recreation center. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah, See, that's what I'm talking about. Services is all over the place. But the thing is, it's about the one thing about services is taking care of, you know, the individuals, you know, our, our morale. You know, yeah. like our fitness, you know, like you said, the morale and welfare, whether you're talking about mm-hmm. the fitness center, you know, MWR, you know, in the dining facility, you know, that's you yeah. building, lodging, all of yeah. those things is taking, you know, making sure we got food to eat, a place to sleep, you know, places to go and enjoy our time, especially in deployment environment in Iraq. Yes. I remember we had an MWR. Well, you know, it was a little tent, but you know, we go yeah. and unwind and read books and, you know, play games or whatever. Have you. <laughs> yes. So um, it's those type of services, literally services that mm-hmm. makes a world of difference. And I think that may be taken for granted, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. In the day to day fight in the military. So, wow, yeah. that is so awesome. So while working with services and as you mentioned, these different um, jobs that you did, how do you think? your role as a woman, or better yet, a woman of color, impacted your time in the military? Wow. I'm not 100% sure. I'm from California. So, (laughs) and uh, I didn't even realize 
I had a lot of ignorance around racism and things like that. I didn't know it was still a thing, you know, especially joining at 19 years old. I, I didn't know I was in California where we had everything. So I didn't really experience that until when I was in Korea. That was my first base in South South Korea. And people would always say to me like, oh, you're, where are you from? And and I would just tell me I'm from California. And, and they're like, oh, well, down in the South, this happens. And I'm like, wait. It does. I didn't know that, you know, so I really started to learn a lot while in the military and around like racism and what that meant and what people what actually was still going on in the world. And I was sheltered as a child. I We were very religious and I didn't go anywhere or do anything. So I really didn't experience a lot of the outside world. And in my years, like later on towards the end, I experienced racism while at work. And I didn't know it was from a a civilian worker, but the feelings that rose up in me, I I didn't have words to describe it. I just know I didn't sleep well. And then I woke up and I I, uh, told my supervisor about it and she took immediate action and everything. It really was a huge thing because she used the N-word and I don't use it. I don't like when people use it, but I don't make a whole stink about it, but when it was said, I didn't know I had so many feelings. I just knew it wasn't right. So another thing was I had a a supervisor who was like a senior master sergeant and she was a black woman. And I felt like she was super hard on me. And I was like, why is she so mean? You know, why? I don't know why she's mean. (laughs) And, um, I didn't really realize until later later on after being out of the military why there was such this because she was in for a minute. So she knew a lot more than I did when it came to being a black woman in the military. So I would always think she had it out for me. She, you know, she never did anything like ridiculous, but I was just like, why is she like so mean to me? But I feel like that really helped shape me even getting out of the military. I was upset when I was going through my divorce and I couldn't find something before I was going to work. So I called and told her I was going to be late. And I started to cry on the phone. I was like, oh, I just, I don't know. And she said, it's not that bad. And I was like, oh, you know, (laughs) wait a minute. And I did, I was upset because, you know, anything. To me, it was a big deal. So I really took offense to that. And then later on, out of the military, I understood a little bit behind that, why that was a thing, you know, why she said it that way. It's like, you just gonna have to push through it. You know, we don't have those same opportunities. We're not afforded those same graces that every other race is. You're just going to have to pick it up and move through it. And I, before actually being supervised by her, I had a lot of um, disciplinary things go on before that. And I, I just couldn't get ahead. That's what it felt like. I was always, something was always behind. I was a single mom trying to figure out how to get daycare and do all this stuff. So I was always behind with everything. And so when she became my supervisor, it was like, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, you're going to do that. And she really pushed me to get through like my testing to get, to make sure I got senior airmen and all this other things. So she really, really shaped me into who I was even in my last years in the military and heading out of the military. So. Wow. That is so awesome. And I can totally relate to what you're saying. You know, I was born and raised in Georgia, but at the, you know, my stepfather was in the army. So we relocated to California. Similar to yourself. So when I went in the military straight out of high school, 
I'm coming from Cali. Like yeah. you said, all <laughs> walks of life, all races, all colors, all creeds. It, it, you know, it wasn't anything. So, but when I got stationed down south, mm. you're absolutely right. You know, that's where, you know, I heard people, someone was told me, what are those thingies in your hair? You know, I had twists. Yeah. He was like, yeah. what are those thingies? I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, uh, type of stuff. So I totally get it. And then when you said that one of your supervisors who actually looked like you, right? And it yes. remind me, reminded me of a conversation that I just had with a past guest. And she was saying how when it came to race, sometimes it came from people that looked like us. Yeah. Right. Yep. And not, mm-hmm. you know, what we would normally think, you know what I'm saying? It was more like, wow, why is she being so hard, you know, <laughs> and that type of stuff. But as you came to realize it was for a reason, yeah. right, to yeah. push you because we, you know, in the military, I don't care what they say. The playing field ain't equal. You know what I'm saying? Yes. They can try to spin it or whatever have you. When you're working in an environment and, you know, it's hard to find a mentor or someone that looks like you that can relate to your life experiences, you know, it's a different type of conversation. Um, So when you do find that and they're hard on you, but in a good way, you know, it's always hindsight 2020. But in the midst of, we're like, what? (laughs) Yep. Same. what I do type stuff. But like you said, she, you know, it shaped you and to deal with things, you know, even now, you know, for you to even remember that. So that is so awesome. So, so you served eight years. Mm -hmm. Um, What made you decide to transition out and how was your transition experience? I waited to the very last minute to tell anyone that I was leaving. I am one of those people that once I decide something, I don't want to hear from anybody else. It's already my decision. And if I start having conversations, somebody might talk me out of it. And I say that to say that when I was in Oman, it was my last deployment. I was there in 2011. And I had my daughter with a family friend at the time. And the family friend called me or I called her and she said, hey, so, you know, what's her favorite food? Like, what kind of stuff does she like? Mm -hmm. And when I tell you I was silent, I had no clue because I worked crazy hours. So I only saw her probably two hours a day. She was always with the daycare provider. And with services, there's all kind of shifts and we got to be there. So we had 24 hour operation. So I had to go to work at 2 p.m., get off at 11, go pick her up and sleep for a couple hours, drop her off at school. Someone else will pick her up because I'm going to work by two. So I did not see her awake for more than like an hour or two at a time. And so when she asked me what her favorite food was, I was silent. I was like, I don't know. I said, I actually have to call the daycare person and then get back to you. Mm. The feeling I felt then was like, I have to change this because I know nothing about her. And that even saying that now gets me kind of choked up because I don't, it was one of the feelings I don't ever want to feel again (laughs) because I was like, someone else is taking care of my child and I don't have an answer for them. I don't know how to even do that. So I said, you know what? I have to get out. It was already a thought before then, but that very day I said to myself, I have to, because I'm not able to build the relationship that I want to with her. And what I wanted was something that was better than what I had with my mom. I was like me deploying all the time and then working these hours. I'm not able to connect with her like I want to. And so 
I decided that day, like, I'm actually going to get out when I get back, I'm going to do it. And so I didn't tell anybody until like a week or so. I told someone, the, the person that I worked for, I told them, but I just didn't make like a big thing about it. And I got out. Everybody asked me, do you have a job? Do you have this? I'm like, no. They're like, well, what, what are you going to do? Because my daughter has asthma and they're like medical. And I said, I will just figure it out because no amount of money is more important than my relationship with her. That's what I want. So I got out. I transitioned to the reserves because someone said, well, why don't you just transfer to the reserves? So it'll kind of, you know, give you a soft, you know, <laughs> soft handoff to the world out there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I can do that. So I transferred to the reserves. And because I already did my time, almost eight years or whatever by the time that you know i didn't have to stay in or do anything have a huge commitment so i was like sure i'll do that and once i i was unemployed for two years i went to school for about a year and i ended up getting pregnant with my son so i looked for jobs um like nonstop. i looked for a job like it was my job (laughs) okay and um it took about a year or so and then i got hired. Well, it took almost two years, literally, to get hired a veteran administration. So I'm at the VA hospital. And um, yeah, that's how my transition was. It was, it was okay. (laughs) It was was, was trying times, but it was okay. (laughs) But you made it, right? But you survived to be unemployed. Now you say you was unemployed for like two years. I mean, was that by choice? Or I mean, I know you said you was looking for jobs and stuff like that. that. Were you Oh, yeah. It was by choice, I would say, because I had very strict criteria about what I wanted to do because I came from a a life of crazy schedules. I was like, no, if I don't have a schedule that's I'm gone when she's at school and home when she's home, I don't want it. Yeah. So, yeah. See, oh, when you said that, I thought that's freedom to me. Mm. You know what I'm saying? You said you had strict requirements. You, You knew what you wanted and what you didn't want in a job. And how much freer can you be to stand by that and when you to turn down jobs, you know, whatever have you, because you knew the life that you wanted. You didn't take a job because you had to, right? Oh, I got money, yeah. but the bills, blah, blah, blah. You took the job that you wanted to that aligns with your values, the life that you wanted outside of the military with your daughter, with your, your son now. That's freedom, you know, yeah. and that's why I try to, you know, to... You know, express to people as they transition out of the military, you can make it whatever you want it to be. It doesn't have to be these stories that you hear on the news, you know, about how high unemployment and stuff like that. Yeah, that may be the case, but whatever you want your life to look like, that's what you should strive for. Yeah. Right. And it sounds like you did exactly that. I love it. That is true (laughs) freedom. So based on what you just said, what piece of advice would you give someone that's listening to, you know, your story about, you know, being a single parent and working the crazy hours and they decide to, you know, transition at the drop of a dime, you know, my mind made up, I'm out of here, you know, type of thing. What piece of advice um, would you give to um, someone that may be, you know, within a year out of transitioning or might be six months or may have just transitioned? What type of advice would you give? Go small. I rented a place that was like in my price range as opposed to my long-term price range, Mm -hmm. you know? And so going small with 
a car, you know, downsizing to something that you just bought, no payments. And I saved a little bit, but I spent it pretty quickly because I bought furniture to furnish the home. Yeah, I would say just downsizing and as much as you can and just sticking it out because it was hard. It was hard. I had to find different ways of doing things. My car got repossessed. I ended up walking to places and I made it. I made it to these places. I, I walked. I ended up leaning on church family as well and not be afraid of, you know, asking for help when you need it. And my son's father drove me to school because that was a little further out. But um, yeah, I just would say just go as small as possible before getting out. Or if you want to have a job lined up before you get out, I knew that I would be fine with sticking it out because of the drive that I had to connect with my daughter. So I feel like that propelled me through a lot of the hard times that I had. And I would propel me through with tears and everything, but I made it. And that, you know, just having that drive of whatever to take you through that. Yeah, you did have drive, you know, and that resiliency, right? But like you said, something that's going to keep you during the long haul, right? And that having that relationship with your daughter is what drove you. And the same with, you know, like I said, the same with me, as I mentioned earlier, my daughter, she's a young adult now, but she's still, you know, with special needs. She'll probably be with me forever. But it's one of, she's my why. Everything that I do still to this day um, is for her because I don't want her to ever want for anything. I don't want her to be in a position of need when I'm no longer on this earth, you know, to be, for her to be a burden on somebody else, you know, so everything that I do, my drive, right, is my daughter. So um, yeah, and then that's the thing for those that are transitioning out, you know, determining, okay, what do I want my life to look like? Planning, like you said, you had a little bit saved up, you know, which got yeah. you through, but even when that was gone through, you still wasn't hesitant to ask for help. You know, and a lot of times us in the military, we, that stigma, nah, I got it on. People think you're crazy or, you know, people think you're weak or whatever have you, but there's so much help that's out here for, you know, people that are transitioning um, out in the military and for those of us that that have transitioned out, right? There's so much help that's out there. We have to go looking for it. A lot of times it's not advertised, So, yeah, Yeah. we have to go looking for it and we have to open our mouths and ask for help because I always like to say a closed mouth don't get fed. Right. I totally agree with everything that um, you're saying. You're saying there. So now that you're on the other side, you know, you've transitioned. I know you're doing some wonderful things. You're an author and everything. So tell us a little bit um, more about what you're doing on the other side. Well, so as I stated, I wanted to make my relationship better than my mom and I's relationship with my daughter. So I, once I got out of the military, I was connecting and I, you know, I'm like, okay, we're doing all these things. We're going out, we're going to the zoo, taking pictures for social media. Look at us, mom and daughter, you know, (laughs) I was so excited and I got to walk her to school. I got to join the PTA, you know, all the things that you think about while you're not able to do them. And when I went in for an interview, for a job, I, once I was leaving that interview, I had a voicemail. And when I tell you that interview, I was like, 
I got this. This job is mine. I'm so excited. I can feel it. You know, they walked me through the place, showed me everything. Oh, like, yeah, this is, yeah, I'm getting hired. Right. So on my way out of there, I hear this voicemail from my uh, daughter's school saying that I need to call them back. And because they didn't say it on the voicemail, I was even more worried. And so I called and the principal said, hey, because we couldn't get a hold of you, your daughter is now in a hold facility because she expressed that she wanted to harm herself. And she not only said that, but she said how she was going to do it. Mm -hmm. So that's the main reason why they took her to the hold facility. And I was in complete shock. I didn't know what was going on. And I felt hurt. I felt shame. I felt angry at my daughter for saying such a thing. I didn't understand it. And I'm thinking, hey, I, I left the military for you. Girl, I've been unemployed for a long time. You know, I've been struggling. And here you are doing this to me, right? Yeah. And I tried to go see her, but because she was, it was on a Friday in the 72 hour hold and all that. So I couldn't mm-hmm. see her. She got transferred to a children's, uh, like a John Muir place. And there I went to visit her, asked her like, okay, so you trying to come home or... You know, she's like, no, I like it here. I have friends. I love it here. And I was just like, wait, hold on. You know, so I was so upset. I left the place and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't want to keep going back there because then I have to go to school or else I don't get the the BAH or whatever they give you for being in school. You know, I have to go there. This is insane. How am I going to pay my rent if she's, if I'm going to see her? Right. And my son's father, who I'm with now, he said to me, you sound crazy, like talking about this like that, because that's your daughter. You should be wanting to do everything. And I said, okay, fine. And I got like angry about it and left. And I drove like around the corner and my pride was down and I just started crying and I don't know what to do. I had to figure it out. So I contacted my school. They told me as long as I show up and come to, I I had to just go to like a different class, but get taught the same things. Mm-hmm. And so it worked out. And I went to see her every day. I had parenting classes. I had counseling for her, counseling for me, counseling for family, all of it. And so I had that set up for when she came out because I said to myself, if there is something wrong here, I have to figure out what it is before I mm-hmm. bring her back here. So right. after I did all that, I in my parenting class, I learned about the five love languages. And for those that don't know, it is acts of service. You have some gift giving, words of affirmation, physical touch, and quality time. So I learned about those. And I originally told everyone, like, I, I feel so much love on the inside for her, but my heart feels calloused and like the love can't come out. So I don't know how to do that. So my church family, they invited me to these parenting classes. They invited me to a a prayer counseling and everything. And during the parenting class, they talked about the five love languages. And when I realized like, okay, wait, she loves physical touch more than I do, you know? So I wasn't giving her that because I just, I didn't know how to pass like five years old. My mom didn't do it for me. I had some trauma as a child. I didn't know what healthy family love and touch looked like. But when my son came along, you know, he's an infant, so I have to hug him and all that and hold him. And she equated that to me loving him more than her because I was giving all of that. So 
I realized like, wait, her love language, her top one, because you you need them all, but her top one was physical touch. And I was like, I have just done nothing but spank her whenever she did something wrong, but never embraced her. And knowing that I translated pain through her top love language, I was like, I don't like that. You know, I have to figure out something. So I started from like the base and just asked her, you know, forgive me for these things. I wasn't taught these things, but because I wasn't taught, I'm going to change how I am and it's going to be a process and we have to do this together. And so because it's a relationship, I was doing things from one side. Like, of course she wants to go to the zoo and we want to take pictures and we want to, meanwhile, after the picture, we're like separate because I don't, you know, I'm not doing that. So I really stuck to doing something with her every single day. And I did it for a while and I still do it to this day, but I made, I was intentional about doing that. And so as like, maybe like a year or so ago, I did a podcast called Growing in Love Together. And on that podcast, I described my journey with my daughter and people started asking me questions about it. What happened? How did I do this? And so I wanted to impact even more of an audience. So I wrote a book recently, and that book is a 90-day guide for military moms to connect on a deeper level with their daughters. And I have, as you have heard, a soft spot for military moms. So that's why I catered it to us because there's not a lot of anything for us out there. So a lot of times it's like, this could be for anybody. Yes, but I want it titled a military mother's guide because I want them to know that there is something for military women out there. And if I had this guide where it just, it breaks down what you can do daily, anywhere from five minutes to 30 minute tasks, I would have had a better reintegration process when I came back from deployments and been able to connect on a very practical level. And there are even things that you can do from a distance, you know, to connect. So that book is my latest and greatest. And I'm like, super proud of it because I wanted to spread the message of how I did this. And it has, and it's literally like day one, do this. And it ties in with the love languages as well. So the first one is make her bed and that is acts of service. So it ties in with that and Mm. it shows you love her without, you know, a long drawn out spa day or a long whatever, you know, you're going to get nails done and it's expensive, right? After a while, you don't want to keep doing that just to connect with your daughter. So these are inexpensive, practical, and very quick. So, yeah. Oh my goodness. It sounds so awesome, girl. Okay. For those of y'all that have not read the five love languages, first of all, you have to read the five love languages. Oh yeah. I love, but what I love about it, that what you've done is taking that book and turned it around to be used with a young adult or a child. Yeah. Where most of the time, when well, when I read it, it was from an adult point, a relationship with another adult. Mm-hmm. For those of you that haven't read it, you know, the five love languages, basically you're learning to speak the language, love language of the other person, right? Yeah. Yeah. And in the book, it talk about like, it's like a foreign language, right? Like if you go to another country or whatever have you, and people are, are not talking English, they're talking another language, you don't understand what they're saying. They're not, there's the communication isn't working. The same mm-hmm. is true in relationships. You have to know 
your partner or your child's love language and vice versa. Hopefully, you know, if you're working with this as a couple, they know your love language, but it's really important to know the other person's love language so that you know how to communicate with them. And who would have ever thought to use that with their child? I love that. I love it. And military moms is so true. Like you say, we feel that sometimes that guilt, that shame, especially while we're still serving. And even once we get out, if we still have to, like you and I, single parents, we had to work and we're the only source of income. We have to leave them with somebody else for hours on hours. So we feel that shame and guilt. And then mm-hmm. we don't have that bond that we want. Or that we don't even know about because we may not have never experienced it for ourselves, like you said, yeah, right? We yeah. didn't have the greatest relationship growing up and stuff like that. So I just love it. Where can members of the audience, those that are listening to this podcast, get their hands on this guide for military moms? <laughs> um, and yeah, where can they get it? So I want to touch on something that you said, which was yeah. we you know, we have this guilt and shame around not being able to connect or or hang out with our daughters because we're doing so much in the military or working very busy jobs. Yeah. I felt so much guilt and I would be like, what did I do wrong? How can I, because of what she stated at school, I'm like, what can I do? How can I, I've already done all these things. Mm-hmm. And I heard a lot of I in there. Mm. And I'm telling you, the good Lord told me, remove the you in guilt and G-I-L-T, grow in love together. So my book is called Growing in Love Together, a military, a 90-day military mom's guide. <laughs> and that's why my podcast is called Growing in Love Together as well. So remove yeah. the you in guilt. Mm-hmm. Girl, where can yeah, I get yeah. this book? <laughs> <laughs> it is at growingandlovetogether.com. It is also at like Barnes and Nobles, Amazon.com. Like, yeah, it's it's a lot of places. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I love it. I love it. If individuals want to follow you, where can they follow you? I know you're on Facebook, which you know, I'm on where Instagram. can individuals follow you? Instagram at growing and love together. And I'm also getting my LinkedIn going and it's uh, Sharice Freeman. And yeah, that's it. That's where you can connect with me. And if you sign up for my email, I send out an email weekly, just different things. I either talk about my life and how I'm doing and how you can implement as well, like things that you can implement. I've given tips on how to connect with your daughter quickly. So yeah. I love it. I mean, I love it. Even though this is your experiences with your daughter, this can be your son. Like you said, you're more hands-on with your son. You know what to do now. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think this book needs to be, yeah, they need to be handing that out. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I love the concept, especially since it's based off, you know, the love languages, because like you said, we... Where's always is I. Well, I did this, I did that. Mm-hmm. But when you're trying to have a relationship with another person, it's not about you, right? Yep, it's correct. about that other person. You have to learn their language. Yeah. What makes them happy? And it's different for everybody, right? As you prove with your daughter, hers is physical touch and yours isn't. Yeah, it is not. <laughs> right? So it's going to be hard on you, right? To. Mm-hmm. 
find ways to get beside get beside yourself to give her what she needs. And that's the thing. That's when we're not focusing on ourselves, but mm-hmm. on the other person. Yeah. So I love that, Sharice. I love that. So with that, once again, Sharice, I want to thank you for being on the show today. I love your story. You and your daughter. Oh, it's just tell you, I'm just over here smiling. <laughs> I just love that, you know, take the you out of guilt. Growing in love yeah. together, you guys. Check out that journal. Follow her on Instagram and Facebook. Um, go to her website as well. And it'll be in the show notes. You know, you don't have to remember all this. I'll have it linked in the show notes so you can follow Sharice and um, learn more about her story and uh, go purchase that book. And once again, it's not just granted, it's geared towards military moms, but I know that people, anybody can learn something from this book. So oh, yeah. thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks again for having me. So there you have it, everybody. Thank you for listening to another remarkable episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, leave a review, and make sure you spread the word about the podcast to your battle buddies. To learn more, please jump over to www.drannjames.com. Thanks again for spending time with us, and be sure to join in next time to the Freedom Battle Buddies of Color podcast.